So some of it may be, do, uh, does this dress look good on me, right? And you guys don't answer the wrong way. Um, for some, it might be um, you're asking about a relative or somebody who may be sick. For some, it might be you are, um, you're traveling and maybe you went to Honduras and you asked a question. And all of a sudden, that question puts you on a track or puts, puts something in motion that you said is either good or bad, right? Depending on the question you ask, is either good or bad. I can tell you time after time after time again where I've been in a situation, good or bad, and a question has been asked, and then the answer has been given. And once the answer is given, there's a response that needs to happen. I remember... Um, You've heard me talk about my trip to Ethiopia a couple years ago with my friend. And as we're standing in that brothel, um, getting ready to meet these women that are um, coming to be a part of the Kaziah Project, which is a project where we take women out of prostitution and we put them in uh, to uh, like a home where we mentor them, where we disciple them, and then we teach them a trade. And uh, I remember sitting there before this all began, and we were getting ready to meet these women that were supposed to be coming into the program next. And I remember sitting there. Walking through this whole section, and as this guy's telling us, the one thing we didn't know was what we were walking through. I do know now, um, but as we were walking through there, um, I remember just seeing things that just really wrecked me inside. They had me bring the camera, and literally it was one of those things like I couldn't even pull the camera up. I just shoved the camera in my pocket because I didn't want to remember it. Because I knew that if I had visual evidence, I knew that if something... um, if there was going to be something again that I needed, to, it, it's going to come back again and again and again if I, if I recorded this, right? But also it was that feeling of, I don't want to record this because it seems very um, disrespectful. It seems very like, ugh, this doesn't feel right. And so in that moment, I kind of tucked it back in. And as we were walking out of that place, I see this little kid standing by this door with his mom. And the guy looks over at us and goes, that little kid sleeps on the top bunk and you know what happens below. And it broke my heart. I remember walking, or right, walking home from Ethiopia. I remember flying home from Ethiopia. And literally my heart and my mind were just flying. As soon as we left that place, Matt and I literally, we, we got in the car. All we could do is put our heads down. We didn't talk or say a word for the next 10 minutes, which was the drive from where we were at to the to compound that w- of which we were um, running all the projects through. And I remember both of us, almost simultaneously get out of the car and we just dart. And all you could hear was him crying and me crying. Why? Because we were faced with a situation that everything within us said it is wrong. Everything within us said we need to do something about this. We're at this point in the story and we're, we're finishing up um, the Old Testament today. And we're at this point in the story where we're, we're going to look at the book of Nehemiah. So if you want to grab a Bible, you can open it up and follow along with us in Nehemiah chapter 1. But Nehemiah is that guy. He's like Matt and I were that time. He, you know, had his life. He was doing his thing. And then his brother named Hanani came back from Jerusalem. And he asked the question, That would change literally probably the trajectory of his life from that point forward. If you look at uh, Nehemiah 1, it says this. Chapter 1, verse, uh, let's just start at 2. In late autumn of the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, 
I was at the fortress of Susa. Hananiah, one of, my, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had survived the captivity and about how things are going, were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well um, for those who have returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been burned. In the moments ahead, I want you to think for a minute. How would you respond? Nehemiah, when he heard this, says, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his unfailing love for those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Listen to my prayer. You see, there was a question that was asked. And there was an answer that was given that caused great, great anguish. See, Nehemiah wasn't, he wasn't a, he, let's put it this way. He was the guy, I don't know if I want his job. He was the guy that if Gail was the king, I would be his cupbearer, right? And if you were trying to kill Gail, I had to taste it first, and then I would be the dead one first. So that Gail would know, okay, I, I'm not going to eat that because, obviously, it killed him, Right? So he was the cupbearer to the king. He tasted, tried everything before it got to the king first, right? So he wasn't any kind of guy that was going to be the guy that goes in and, as Hannah and I said, rebuilds walls and takes all the rubble and restores it. He wasn't, he really wasn't going to be that guy. Like he had a pretty, I, I mean, besides the fact that he could die at any moment, I think he had a pretty comfortable job. But it was interesting, the response that we see. In a heartbeat, he, heard the, he asked the question, and he got an answer. And when that answer came, all that could, all, the only way he could respond was with weeping, right? And through fasting and prayer. He sat there in this great anguish going, God, why? But he didn't stop there. He started at a place I don't think many of us start. When we hear a question, we hear, when we get an answer, or we put out there an answer or a question, and we get an answer, I don't think our number one way to run is through prayer. But what we see in this story is that prayer must be the starting point of everything. When you hear something, when something comes into your ears and into your brain and it starts to process all of it, the first response that Nehemiah did and Ezra did, if you go back and you read in Ezra, they began to pray. And they prayed because they saw a great need. They saw something that was not right. So go back to my story there for a minute in Ethiopia. The reason why we darted is because we didn't want to talk to anybody else. All we could do is sit there in prayer. And you know what was pretty interesting? And pray. You know what was pretty interesting? When we finally composed ourselves to come back together, we both looked at each other and said, we've got to do something. But it didn't stop there. As soon as we said that, I said to Matt, I said, we can't just pull them. We can't just leave them there and then bring them over here and then put them back in there at night. We've got to do something to start something where it's like a college where they come and their families come with them and they stay for this six month period. And they find all the healing, all the hope they need within the confines of this building, within the confines of this place. So they don't have to go back into that life and be tempted with it. But that didn't start by me just sitting there 
throwing out good ideas, getting out the whiteboard and go, okay, what should we do now? It started because both of us felt such great anguish and we began to weep and cry over what needed to happen. And you know what happened in those times? It's just like what Nehemiah does here. He doesn't start looking for a plan of what to do. He starts pouring his heart out before God. He starts holding God to these promises. He starts going, God, this is what you said. And he begins to repent, not only for his sins, but for the sins of all the others around him. You see, there's a few things that we we run into when we run into this, this passage of Scripture. And we see that prayer must always be the starting point. But when we begin to pray, one of the things it gives us is it gives us great vision. We begin to see the will of God. Not through our eyes, not through our grand schemes, not through all the things that we can do, but we begin to see as God sees. And we begin to grab a hold of his heart for that situation. The only way I can explain why Nehemiah's heart was gripped so strongly, because I would imagine he's never been to Jerusalem. I don't know this. But I would imagine he's never been there. But he knows that that's where his ancestors are from. That's where he's from. That's where his people are at. That's where people are hurting, dying. He just heard it. And then something, because of his relationship with God, something breaks in him. A couple weeks ago, you remember us talking about um, at the very beginning of Ezra, where we talked about building the temple, right? And how um, Zerubbabel, right, went back and he began to start rebuilding the temple. And this process got delayed for a while. And then and God sends in these two prophets. And these prophets say, you know, stop building your own houses. Because the, the house of God is sitting in shambles. And we need to rebuild this. Right? And we talked about what it looked like to be temple builders. And we talked about how part of that is, is being in his presence. Right? The whole temple was just that picture of God wanting to be with his people. And so you can only imagine that Nehemiah was one of those people. He was one of those people that understood the value of the temple. He understood the value of this relationship, this, this um, relationship with God. And so if his heart is already like for God and God's is like they're together, the minute he hears this, his heart breaks. Why? Because he's taken on the heart of God for those people. Because for Nehemiah, it would have been very easy to sit right where he was. It would be very easy just to continue to do what he was going to do and just forget about the rest. But he didn't. He was in such tight communion with God that when he heard this, his heart began to break and he began to pray. And he wept and he fasted for days, it says. How many times has your heart broken for something that God has? And God wants to do in and through your life. When's the last time that something came across your eyes or through your ears that it caused you to stop dead in your tracks and say, God, we need to do something? I was really, with this message this week, I was really wanting to try to keep it happy. And there's parts of it that will be. But I think the thing that God wants us to hear today is our hearts in tune with his. That when something crosses our eyes and when it goes through our ears, do 
do we immediately stop and go, that's not right. And begin to weep and mourn and pray. I don't think that's our response. I wish I could say that's my response every time, but it's not. I've had moments. I've had plenty of moments. I've had moments when my wife emails me from Ethiopia and says, we need to adopt this little girl. And I start crying. I've had moments when I'm sitting in a, in a cabin up in upper Wisconsin and God's going, you're going home. And I started crying for other reasons. But, um, okay, miss, there we go. But then it really turned into, this is the reason why. There's been moments of great anguish overseeing certain things, whether it was in Ethiopia or whether it was in the inner city of Detroit or whether it's in here in Adrian. This week, Katie and I um, got to go with a group of fourth graders to the Henry Ford Museum. And as you can imagine, that was fun. You just kind of follow them wherever they go and then try to keep them all together. So we had four boys, and they're very, four very active boys. And be, our son's one of them, and he was the leader and way ahead of everybody. Um, but it was a fun day. It was a fun day getting to take them to this place, and they were getting to, to see all this history and all these cool cars and big trains and, and airplanes. and I mean, you name it, they have it. You know, they even had little, like, they have now this, I don't know if you've been there lately, they have like these generation things, like these were the toys of this generation and the things that define this generation and they go from there, you know. And I take the boys over there, I'm like, do you know what that is? I'm like, they're like, no. I'm like, that's a Game Boy. <laughs> well, that's a Game Boy? It says it right there, you know. And then you, you take them over, you know, and they got these like little listening stations and they put on the headphones and, and Zeke's like at this one and I'm like, do you even know what this is? No, plays music, you know, that's called an eight track. He's like, what? You guys are laughing. You don't even know what eight tracks are, right? I barely know. The only reason I know is my dad's got a ton of them. Okay. Um, but eight tracks. And then they had, um, what was the next one over records? Okay. And so they knew what those were and stuff like that. But it was interesting because you take them through these things and they look at them like, oh, those are cool shoes. And I'm like, okay, those are the original Michael Jordans. Really? Yep, they had them back then, believe it or not, okay? So it was all these things, but I remember um, we were walking and kind of just with these kids, and it's something that could have easily went past your radar. But this little kid said this to Katie. He go, um, just, I think it was kind of a nonchalant way. He said, yeah, my, my dad just went to prison for drugs. And so my mom just gave me this money so I can do this stuff. And, and, None of that matters except for the point of my heart broke in that moment. Because I think there's a lot of us that walk through life and just want to pretend that nothing's happening around us. And that there's not hurting people all around us. And that we aren't good enough or big enough or have enough money to do anything about it. Yet really when it comes down to it, all we really need is to be who God's created us to be. And have open ears to hear and eyes to see exactly what he wants you to do. When you drive by a Lincoln Middle Elementary School. When you drive by an Alexander. When you drive by an Adrian High School. When you drive by a Lenawee Christian. When you drive by these places. Do your heart break, does your heart break? Because there's kids. Kids. Lots of them. That really have parents that have no involvement in their life. There's kids that are struggling in school because... 
They just don't have the support at home. And yet we have open doors all around us to come in and read with kids. And we have open doors all around us to come in and eat lunch with them. Yet we just don't have the time. This week for me has been a lot of repenting because I threw a lot of excuses out to God. And God goes, they're excuses. Because you do have the time. You do have the ability. You have everything you need to do what I've asked you to do right here, right now. The choice is whether you choose to do it or not. You see, Nehemiah sat down. He wept. He repented. You see, what he knew needed to happen was things needed a change of direction. And so that change of direction came when he began to repent. When he began to say, God, I know we don't have it all together. I know, like, the people have messed up over and over and over again. And really, like, what am I going to do? But God, here, if you're asking me to do something, I'll do it. But you've got to really help me out. And so we read in uh, Nehemiah 1.9. I think it's somewhere in there. Do I have it on there? It says this, but if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. He brings it back in, with Ezra, just chapters before. He talks about this too, and how Ezra did the same thing. He, go, he always comes back to obeying, obeying, obeying. Knowing his word, obeying his word, following his ways, doing what he's asked to do. And then we see God saying, my name will be honored if you will do this. And so Nehemiah continues on with his prayer. And towards the end of it, he says this. Verse 10. says, we are your servants, the people you rescued by your great power and might. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to my prayers um, of those. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success now as I go to ask the king. God, give me great favor. Put in, into his heart to be kind to me. And in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. He said, God, if you're asking me to do this, I will obey. But you need to give me favor with the king. And so we read on. In the next verses that goes, Nehemiah comes to the king. He's really down. You know, he's been fasting, praying. He's been crying. Okay, have you ever seen your face after you cry? You know, it's a little droopy, a little saggy. Um, and you're kind of just heavy-eyed. And so the king notices that something's wrong with Nehemiah. And he looks at him and says, why such a long face? And he goes, I'm sitting here doing all this and living in luxury, and my people are dying in Judah. And the king looks at him and goes, what would you like me to do? Let me go there. Let me go there. Let me start rebuilding the walls. And he goes, do you need anything else? And he goes, yeah, I need you to do. And he lays out this whole list. And the king literally goes, you have everything you need. Now go. God's plan, God's will, God provides. The second thing you see in this is this idea of wisdom. He prayed, and he's praying for wisdom. He wasn't praying for this great plan of how he was going to build this wall, how, what it needed to look like. He wasn't getting all the blueprints drawn up. What he was praying for is wisdom. 
He needed wisdom in this situation. And so as he began to continue down this road, he, he did get the permission from, from the king. He got the letters that I needed to get all the supplies so that he can take. But as he walked into that place, now listen to me very carefully. He didn't walk in with a plan. The only thing he knew that he needed to do was rebuild the walls. He didn't know what they looked like. They didn't have cameras back there. They didn't pull up their iPhones and go, let me text it to you. This is what it looks like, right? He didn't know anything. So when he finally arrives in Jerusalem, he sees that things are really bad. Probably worse than what he could have imagined. And these weren't, just, I mean, this just didn't happen like just a couple days ago. This was like this way for over 152 years. You talk about a bad, um, bad way to leave things. You talk about getting comfortable with just how things were. I think the people just got comfortable and just said, you know what? Eh, it's not a big deal. And they left the walls tore down so that at any moment the enemy could come in and pillage and destroy what they needed to. And so Nehemiah knew in order for them to be safe, in order for them to continue to worship, in order for them to continue to be in the presence of God, he needed to firm up the walls. He needed to rebuild the walls. And so it says when he got there, he snuck out under the dark of night. And as he snuck out under the dark of night, he began to go around and look at the walls and and assess what needed to happen. And then he came back and he pulled everybody together and he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to rebuild these walls. Now, as you can imagine, they probably were like, okay, who are you, number one? Number two, how are we going to do this? And Nehemiah looks at it and goes, with God's help. And oh, by the way, I have all the stuff we need right here. God's already provided for it. So they're not knowing what's happening. They're coming in. He's assessed it. He goes, now we've got everything we need. Let's start doing this. And so they begin this process of rebuilding the walls, right? And so in our lives, here's what I want to kind of bring this to. In our lives, so many times we start off on something and we don't ask God for the wisdom. When God says in his word in James, he says, if you lack wisdom, ask. Because God will give it. I think that the biggest like waste of spiritual gifts that we have in the church right now is that we don't play in for um, the gift of discernment and the gift of wisdom. I think we just kind of go and we just do things as we need to do it. And God really is looking at us going, will you ask? Because I'm willing to give it. I'm willing to show you what needs to happen. I'm willing to give you what needs to, to be put in place so that this will happen. But can you ask? I need your heart to be in line with mine. And so Nehemiah's number of prayers, wisdom, so he could understand the will of God in this whole thing. The third thing we see, and this is the final thing, is Prayed for courage. Courage to do it. I don't know about you, but that kind of vision, that kind of thing that God's asking them to step out and do is not an easy thing. So you'll see it in in Nehemiah's prayer at the beginning. He begins to do what as he begins to pray? Does anybody know? He He doesn't start by just praying for what he needs. He starts by exalting God and who God is. He knew God. He knew God's word. He knew the law. And he began to obey it. But he started first by going, God, you're great and mighty. You're faithful. You've always been faithful. And he began to put God in the right spot, right in the center of all this. To say, God, what do you want? And as he began to pray, courage began to build. This cupbearer began to believe that he could be a contractor. And he could pull all this together and begin to build walls. You see, I think a lot of times in our life, we kind of just look at our own lives and go, yeah, I know I need to do that, but I really don't have the courage, number one. And number two, 
it's not re- the walls really aren't that bad, right? The walls that we build around the temple of our heart, they're not that bad. The things that we build to protect, you know, our, who we are spiritually, we kind of just, eh, they're not that bad. I can do without it. And yet we sit and wonder why we continue to face attacks and we continue to get beat down by the enemy. Why? Because there's a hole in your wall. And God's saying, just ask. Start praying. Start seeking me. Start asking for wisdom. Start asking for courage. Start praying for those things and watch what I begin to do and watch as I begin to rebuild these walls. And we see it. He faces so many obstacles. He faces so many challenges along the way. In Nehemiah 4, we read this. It says, maybe, next slide, there we go. Samballot was very angry. Okay, this was one of the other guys. This is one of the enemies that, you know, he liked there being a hole. That was easy. He could just go in and do what he needed to do. Samballot was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army of officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they are doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something from stones, from the rubbish heap and the charred ones at that? Next. Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked on top of it. So his enemies are sitting there mocking him, right? Looking at him going, who are you? Who do you think you are? What do you think you're trying to do? Like, that's going to be nothing. And so easily, it could begin to get discouraging. But we read again in, in verse 10. It says this. Then the people of Judah began to complain. Surprise, Right? If there's a major theme we've seen through the first part of the story, it's as soon as something happens, as soon as God steps in, what happens? They begin to complain. Whether it's, you should have just left us in Egypt, or we want a king, or we want this, or we want that. They just started, wah, 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 right? So, verse 10, they got tired. The workers were getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved. Will we, we will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Nehemiah knew this. And one of the beautiful things is if you read this story, Nehemiah had a plan that didn't come from his mind, but came from the, from the heart of God. And not only did he have the builders, but then he had warriors. And not only did he have warriors, but he had prayer warriors. He had multiple layers doing all the work, doing these things that needed to be done so that the walls could be rebuilt. In verse 11 through 12, we see this. It says, meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before you know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. Next verse, verse 13 says this. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then I asked over the situation. I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight For your brothers, your sons, your daughters, and your wives, and your homes. He's saying, don't worry about it. We've got it all taken care of. And if you read in Nehemiah 6, 1 through 9, he goes through this story. And he begins to talk about the continued opposition to rebuilding. But what's interesting is as they continue to get in this, and as um, 
Nehemiah continues to encourage and he continues to call on the great and mighty God, on his great acts, on the great things that he's done over and over again. It said that the people's courage was built up. And they just kept building and building and building. And here's what was interesting. Something that had laid in ruin for 152 years took 52 days to rebuild. But you know the question I want to ask you. How much rubble is laying around? How much rubble is laying around your life? How much rubble is laying around on the inside? Nehemiah took what was laying dormant for 52 years, or 152 years, and in 52 days rebuilt it. Why? Because he started with prayer. And he didn't move until God gave him the courage, gave him the boldness, gave him the wisdom that he needed to do what he needed to do. But he was willing to fight for it before that in times with God. I think the sad fact of church, our church, any church, is that we push prayers, personal prayer to the side. And we don't have this intimate personal relationship where we're pouring through his word and we're studying his word and we're allowing it to change us. What's amazing about the word of God is the Bible says it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's a, short, it's a sword sharp enough to, to keep the enemy at bay, right? But it's also delicate and like exact enough that it could do surgery on the human heart. But we want to stay away from it. How stupid are we? You see, when God's wanting to do something, he's looking for the people whose hearts are his. And the people whose hearts are his don't focus on the things that they want. They focus on the things of God. Because it has very little to do with the physical and has a lot to do with the internal. And here's the challenging thing. For us today as a church. We've got rebuilding to do. But it's not going to happen. Until we can put aside. All the other stuff. All the other complaints. All the other things that we want to do. Or what we think it should look like. And do all this stuff. Nehemiah didn't entertain any of that. Because you know why? Because he had a vision from God. And he came in and said. What needs to happen. Is these walls need to get rebuilt. You've been talking about it for 152 years. And what Nehemiah did in 52 days, they couldn't do in 152 years. And a lot of it, I bet, was because everybody had their idea of how the wall needed to be built. Instead of seeking the heart of God and asking him what he wants his bride, what he wants his church to look like. What he wants this community to look like. What he wants your workplace to look like. What he wants your family to look like. Instead, we don't do the hard work. We just do what's easy. We just take what's easy. That's what America was founded on. Do you get that? If you read about the history of America, when America came, when, when the English came to America, they had never seen such great wealth. They've never seen such vast open lands filled with anything they ever needed. And so America was started on this idea of there's, it's the land of plenty. And so we need more and more and more. And it, there's stories even that says when they came in, they would take and they would go into these areas. They would kill these animals and they would take just what they need and just leave the rest to die. 
Why? Because they had what they needed. And so if they needed something else again, they'd just go out and kill it and let the rest to die. And so sooner or later, you know, you look where we're at. But here's the thing. We have to get past all this other stuff. And we need to come together. And we need to say, God, as Gail said this week, God, keep us stupid. So that we continue to come back to you over and over again. To say, God, we don't know what we're doing. But you do. So would you show us? Now, there's a great, there's a big piece to this. And the big piece is you being willing to do the work. Because there's a lot of rubble laying around. And there's a lot of rebuilding that needs to happen. And the rebuilding's only going to happen if, if you and I begin the process of doing that, that thing inside. There's a quote, and I missed it at the very beginning. But it says this, the height of our spiritual revival will be, return, be determined by the depth of our repentance. There's a lot of repentance that needs to happen. Personally, there's a lot of repentance that needs to happen before an almighty, faithful God. Today, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what God's challenging you with right now. But what I do know is this. God wants to start a rebuilding process in you. Are you willing to do the work? The work of sitting still, seeking God's face, and obeying his commands. Because if there's one thing that we've seen from the very beginning of this story to this point that we're at right now, is God's all about obedience. And he has been from the very beginning. And you know what else? We're all about disobedience. We're all about wanting what we want. We're all about more. We're all about this. But there's a picture that God's painting in here. And the picture he continues to paint is that he never gives up on us. He continually comes back. He continually beckons us back. And he brings us close and says, we obey now. And guess what we do? We go off and disobey again. And then God lovingly and gently brings us back in and goes, we obey now. Why? Why should we? Why? Because God loves us that much and he cares about us that much. But here's what I'm asking you. Today, could today finally be the day when you answer the question and you respond to the answer or to the answer you got? Because here's the thing. There's rubble all around your lives, whether it's in your homes, whether it's in your um, workplaces. And God's needing somebody who's a rebuilder. I don't know about you. I love like home restoration shows. Guys, if you want to come, Van, you ready? I love like home restoration shows or like those weight loss shows, you know? Like I'm not really a weight loss guy, as you can tell. Um, I try to weight gain. Um, but I don't know what it is about these stories. But I'm starting to get a little bit of a picture if my father's all about restoring and rebuilding lives, that's why my heart breaks and I start crying every time somebody loses 140 pounds or loses 300 pounds. Why? 
Because their life is completely different now. That's why I start crying when I watch these home makeover shows. And they're like all these, you know, they're, you know, this family's been blessed, over blessed almost. And they'd be given a new fresh start in life. Why? Because we were, you and I were meant to be rebuilders. You and I were meant to see the rubble and not see it as what it is, but begin to find the gold, begin to find the things that are worth something in it and begin to rebuild. That's who you and I are. That's who we get to be each and every day of our lives. The difference is a lot of us choose to hold the sledgehammer and continue to knock walls down. And we were never meant to hold that sledgehammer in life. We were meant to be the people that bring, come in and begin to rebuild. So today, where are you at? What's God challenging you with? What's he breaking your heart for? And then what's the response he's asking of you today? We're going we're gonna to close with worship today. And I want this just to be a time where you can reflect and you can just focus on who God is. Because he's done so much in our lives. Isn't it time that we start to obey and we start to see God move because of our obedience? Not because of some great thing that we can do with our own hands. But simply because we're willing to obey. Let's pray. So today, God, you are here. And your word is very clear. We've been letting things just go for so many years. But God, today, you're raising up a remnant that says the walls are broken and they need to be fixed. And they recognize that the first wall that needs to be fixed is the one inside. So that we can stand firm. So when the enemy tries to attack, he finds no gaps or no holes or no openings because we've been diligent in building the wall that you've asked us to build around our hearts. So today, God, may you show us who we are. And may you show us who we're supposed to be and who we're called to be in every situation. So God, today we lift you up and we glorify you in these moments ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.